1: the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox and Four Parks without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spyro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the a Award Theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live.
2: Mr. Moderator, Reverend Clee, and Milton, brothers and sisters, and friends, and I see some enemies. (laughs) In fact, I think we'd be fooling ourselves if we had an audience this large and didn't realize that there were some enemies present. (laughs) This afternoon, we want to talk about the ballot or the bullet. The ballot or the bullet explains itself. But before we get into it, since this is the year of the ballot or the bullet, I would like to clarify some things that refer to me personally, concerning my own personal position. I'm still a Muslim. That is, my religion is still Islam. religion is still Islam. I still credit Mr. Muhammad for what I know and what I am. He's the one who opened my eyes, and at present I'm the minister of the newly founded uh, Muslim Mosque, Incorporated, which has its offices in the Teresa Hotel right in the heart of Harlem. That's the black belt in New York City. And when we realize that Adam Clayton Powell is a Christian minister, he's the, he has Abyssinia Baptist Church, but at the same time he's more famous for his political struggling. And Dr. King is a Christian minister in Atlanta, from Atlanta, Georgia, or in Atlanta, Georgia, but he's become more famous for being involved in the civil rights struggle. There's another in New York, Reverend Golamison. I don't know if you've heard of him out here. He's a Christian minister from Brooklyn, but has become famous for his fight against the segregated school system in Brooklyn. Reverend Cleve, right here, is a Christian minister here in Detroit. He's the head of the Freedom Now Party. All of these are Christian ministers. All of these are Christian ministers, but they don't come to us as Christian ministers. They come to us as fighters in some other category. I'm a Muslim minister. The same as they are Christian ministers, I'm a Muslim minister. And I don't believe in fighting today in any one front, but on all fronts. In fact, I'm a black nationalist freedom fighter. Islam is my religion, but I believe my religion is my personal business. It governs my personal life, my personal morals, and my religious philosophy is personal between me and the God in whom I believe, just as the religious philosophy of these others is between them and the God in whom they believe. And this is best this way. Were we to come out here discussing religion, we'd have too many differences from the outstart, and we could never get together. So today, though Islam is my religious philosophy, my political, economic, and social philosophy is black nationalism. You and I... As I say, if we bring up religion, we'll have differences, we'll have arguments, we'll never be able to get together. But if we keep our religion at home, keep our religion in the closet, keep our religion between ourselves and our God, but when we come out here, we have a fight that's common to all of us against the enemy who is common to all of us. The political philosophy of black nationalism only means that the black man should control the politics and the politicians in his own community. The, the, time, the time when white people can come in our community and get us to vote for them so that they can be our political leaders and tell us what to do and what not to do is long gone. So thank you. By the same token, the time when that same white man, knowing that your eyes are too far open, can send another Negro into the community, get you and me to support him so he can use him to lead us astray, those days are long gone. (laughs) The political philosophy of black nationalism only means That if you and I are going to live in a black community, and that's where we're going to live, because as soon as you move into one of their, as soon as you move out of the black community into their community, it's missed for a period of time, but they're gone, and you're right there all by yourself. We must, we must understand the politics of our community. And we must know what politics is supposed to produce. We must know what politics play in our lives, and until we become politically mature, we will always be misled, led astray, or deceived or maneuvered into uh, supporting someone politically who doesn't have the good of our community at heart. So the political philosophy of black nationalism only means that we will have to carry on a program, a political program of re-education to open our people's eyes, make us become more politically conscious, politically mature. And then we will whenever we get ready to cast our ballot, that ballot will be for, uh, will be cast for a man of the community who has the good of the community at heart. Anyway. <laughs> the economic philosophy of black nationalism only means that we should own and operate and control the economy of our community. You would never find. You can't open up a black store in a white community. White man won't even patronize you. And he's not wrong. didn't he got sense enough to look out for himself. And you you don't have sense enough to look out for yourself. <laughs> the white man, the white man is too intelligent to let someone else come and gain control of the economy of his community. But you will let anybody come in and control the economy of your community, control the housing, control the education, control the jobs, control the businesses uh, under the pretext that you want to integrate. No, you're out of your mind. The political, the economic philosophy of black nationalism only means that we have to become involved in a program of re-education to educate our people into the importance of knowing that when you spend your dollar out of the community in which you live, the community uh, in which you spend your money becomes richer and richer, the community out of which you take your money becomes poorer and poorer. And because these Negroes, who have been misled, misguided, are breaking their necks to take their money and spend it with the man. The man is becoming richer and richer, and you're becoming poorer and poorer. And then what happens? The community in which you live becomes a slum. It becomes a ghetto. The conditions become run down. And then you have the audacity to, com- to complain about poor housing in a run down community. Why, you run it down yourself when you take your dollars. And you and I are in a double trap, because not only do we lose by taking our money someplace else and spending it, when we try and spend it in our own community, we're trapped because we haven't had sense enough to set up stores and control the businesses of our community. The man who's controlling the stores in our community is a man who doesn't look like we do. He's a man who doesn't even live in the community. So you and I, even when we try and spend our money in the block where we live or the area where we live, we're spending it with a man who, when the sun goes down, takes that basket full of money in another part of the town. So we're trapped, trapped, double trapped, triple trapped. Anywhere we go, we find that we're trapped. And every kind of solution that someone comes up with is just another trap. But the political and economic philosophy of black nationalism, the economic philosophy of black nationalism shows our people the importance of setting up these little stores and developing them and expanding them into larger operations. Woolworth didn't start out big like they are today. They started out with a dime store and expanded and expanded and expanded until today they're all over the country and all over the world and they're getting some of everybody's money. Now this, what you and I and General Motors, the same way, didn't start out like it is. It started out just a little rat race type operation. And it expanded and expanded until today is where it is right now. And you and I have to make a stop. And the best place to start is right in the community where we live. So our people not only have to be uh, re-educated to the importance of supporting black business, but the black man himself has to be uh, made aware of the importance of going into business. And once you and I go into business, we own and operate at least the businesses in our community. What we will be doing is developing a situation wherein we will actually be able to create employment for the people in the community. And once you can create some, pl- some employment in the community where you live, it will eliminate the necessity of you and me having to act ignorantly and disgracefully, boycotting and picketing some cracker, some else, trying to beg him for a job. <laughs> Anytime you have to rely upon your enemy for a job, you're in bad shape. When you, have he is your enemy, any you wouldn't be in this country if some enemy hadn't kidnapped you and brought you here. <laughs> on the other hand, some of you think you came here on the Mayflower. <laughs> so as you can see, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, Today, this afternoon, it's not our intention to discuss religion. Uh, We're going to forget religion. If we bring up religion, we'll be in an argument. And the best way to uh, keep away from arguments and differences, as I said earlier, put your religion at home, in the closet. Keep it between you and your God. Because if it hasn't done anything more for you than it has, you need to forget it anyway. Whether you are whether you are a Christian or a Muslim or a nationalist, we all have the same problem. They don't hang you because you're a Baptist. They hang you because you're black. They don't attack me because I'm a Muslim. They attack me because I'm black. They attack all of us for the same reason. All of us catch hell from the same enemy. We're all in the same bag in the same boat. We suffer political oppression, economic exploitation, and social degradation, all of them from the same enemy. The government has failed us. You can't deny that. Any time you live in the 20th century, 1964, and you walking around here singing, we shall overcome, the government has failed us. This is part of what's wrong with you. You do too much singing. Today it's time to stop singing and start swinging. You can't sing up on freedom, but you can swing up on some freedom. Can sing, but singing didn't help him to become the heavyweight champion of the world. Swinging helped him. So, <laughs>
3: well,
2: this government has failed us. The government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. And once we see that all these other sources to which we've turned have failed, We stop turning to them and turn to ourselves. We need a self-help program, a a do-it-yourself philosophy, a do-it-right-now philosophy. Uh, It's already too late, philosophy. This is what you and I need to get with. And the only time, the only way we're going to uh, solve our problem is with a self-help program. Before we can get a self-help program started, we have to have a self-help philosophy. Black nationalism is a self-help philosophy. What's so good about it, you can stay right in the church where you are and still take black nationalism as your philosophy. You can stay in any kind of civic organization that you belong to and still take black nationalism as your philosophy. You can be an atheist and still take black nationalism as your philosophy. This is a philosophy that eliminates the necessity for division and argument. Because if you're black, you should be thinking black. And if you're black and you're not thinking black at this late date, well, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> Once you change your philosophy, you change your thought pattern. Once you change your thought pattern, you change your, your attitude. Once you change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. As long as you've got a sit-down philosophy, you'll have a sit-down thought pattern. And as long as you think that old sit down thought, you'll be uh, in some kind of sit down action. They'll have you sitting in everywhere. It's not so good to refer to what you're going to do as a sit in. That right there castrates you. Right there it brings you down. What what goes with it? What think of the image of a, someone sitting? An old woman can sit. An old man can sit. A chump can sit. A coward can sit. Anything can sit. Well, you and I have been sitting long enough, and it's time today for us to start doing some standing and some fighting to back that up. When we look at other parts of this earth upon which we live, we find that black, brown, red, and yellow people in Africa and Asia are getting their independence. They're not getting it by singing, We Shall Overcome. No, they're getting it through nationalism. It is nationalism that brought about the independence of the people in Asia. Every nation in Asia gained its independence through the philosophy of nationalism. Every nation on the African continent that has gotten its independence brought it about through the philosophy of nationalism. And it will take black nationalism, that, to bring about the freedom of 22 million Afro-Americans here in this country, where we have suffered colonialism for the past 400 years. America is just as much a colonial power as England ever was. America is just as much a colonial power as France ever was. In fact, America is more so a colonial power than they, because she's a hypocritical colonial power behind it. What is 20—what do you call second-class citizenship? Why, that's colonization. Second-class citizenship is nothing but 20th century slavery. How are you going to tell me you're a second-class citizen? They don't have second-class citizenship in any other government on this earth. They just have slaves and people who are free. Well, this country is a hypocrite. They try and make you think they set you free by calling you a second-class citizen. No, you're nothing but a 20th century (laughs) slave. Just as it took nationalism to move, to remove colonialism from Asia and Africa, it'll take black nationalism today to remove colonialism from the backs and the minds of uh, 22 million Afro-Americans here in this country. And 1964 looks like it might be the year of the ballot or the bullet. Why does it look like it might be the year of the ballot or the bullet? Because Negroes have listened to the trickery and the lies and the false promises of the white man now for too long, and they're fed up. They've become disenchanted, they've become disillusioned, they've become dissatisfied, and all of this has built up frustrations in the black community that makes the black community throughout America today more explosive than all of the atomic bombs the Russians can ever invent. Whenever you got a racial powder keg sitting in your lap, you're in more trouble than if you had an atomic powder keg sitting in your lap. When a racial powder keg goes off, it doesn't care who, it knocks out the way. Understand this, it's dangerous. And in 1964, this seems to be the year. Because what can the white men use now to fool us? After he put down that march on Washington, and you see all through that now, he tricked you, had you marching down to Washington. Yes, had you marching back and forth between the feet of a dead man named Lincoln and another another dead man named George Washington, singing, We Shall Overcome. He made a chump out of you. He made a fool out of you. He made you think you were going somewhere, and you end up going nowhere but between Lincoln and Washington. (laughs) So today our people are disillusioned. They've become disenchanted. They've become dissatisfied. And in their frustrations they want action. And in 1964, you'll see this young black man, this new generation.
4: So today, our people are disillusioned. They've become disenchanted. They've become dissatisfied. And in their frustrations, they want action. You'll see this young black man, this new generation, asking for the ballot or the book. That old Uncle Tom action is outdated. The young generation don't want to hear anything about the odds are against us. What do we care about odds? When this country here was first being founded, there were 13 colonies. The the whites were colonized. They were fed up with this taxation without representation. So some of them stood up and said, liberty or death. Though I went to a white school over here in Mason, Michigan, the white man made the mistake of letting me read his history books. He made the mistake of teaching me that Patrick Henry was a patriot, and George Washington wasn't nothing nonviolent about old Pat or George Washington. Liberty or death was what brought about the freedom of whites in this country from the English. care about the arts, why they faced the wrath of the entire British Empire. And in those days, they used to say that the British Empire was so vast and so powerful when the sun, the sun would never set on it. This is how big it was, yet these thirteen little scrawny states, tired of taxation without representation, tired of being exploited and, and oppressed and degraded, told that big British Empire, liberty or death and here you have 22 million Afro-American black people today catching more hell than Patrick Henry ever saw. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, in case you don't know it, that you got a new, you got a new generation of black people in this country who don't care anything whatsoever about us. They don't want to hear you, old Uncle Tom, Handkerchief head talking about uh the honor? no. This is a new generation. If they're gonna draft these young black men and send them over to Korea or South Vietnam to face eight hundred million Chinese. <laughs> If you're not afraid of those odds, you shouldn't be afraid of these odds. Why is America, why does this loom to be such an explosive political year? Because this is the year of politics. This is the year when all of the white politicians are gonna come into the Negro community. You never see them until election time. You can't blame them until election time. They're going to come in with false promises. And as they make these false promises, they're going to feed our frustrations. And this will only serve to make matters worse. I'm no politician. I'm not even a student of politics. I'm not a a Republican, nor a Democrat, nor an American, and got sense enough to know it. I'm one of the 22 million black victims of the Democrats. One of the 22 million black victims of the Republicans and one of the 22 million black victims of
3: Americanism.
4: And when I speak, I don't speak as a Democrat or a Republican. I speak as a victim of America's so-called democracy. You and I have never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. (laughs) When we open our eyes today and look around America, we see America not through the eyes of someone who who has enjoyed the fruits of Americanism. We see America through the eyes of someone who has been the victim of Americanism. We don't see any American dream. We've experienced only the American nightmare. We haven't benefited from America's democracy. We've only suffered from America's hypocrisy. And the generation that's coming up now can see it, and are not afraid to say it. If if you go to jail, for what? If you're blank, you were born in jail. If you black, you were born in jail. In the north as well as the south. Stop talking about the south. Long as you south, south of the Canadian border, you're south. Don't call Governor Wallace a Dixie governor. Romney is a Dixie governor. million black victims of Americanism are waking up, and they're gaining a new political consciousness, becoming politically mature. And as they become, uh, develop this political maturity, they're able to see the recent trends in these uh, political elections. They see that the whites are so evenly divided that every time they vote, uh, the race is so close they have to go back and count the votes all over again. And that, that which means that any block any minority that has a block of votes that stick together is in a strategic position. Either way you go, that's who gets it. You're, you're in a position to determine who go to the White House and who stay in the doghouse. You're the one who has that power. You can keep Johnson in Washington, D.C., or you can send him back to his Texas cotton patch. You're the one who sent Kennedy to Washington. You're the one who put the present Democratic administration in Washington, D.C. The whites were evenly divided. It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. When you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to to be the determining factor, what do you get out of it? The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. They've been down there four years, and all other legislation they wanted to bring up, they brought it up and got it out of the way, and now they bring up you. <laughs> and now they bring up you. You put them first, and they put you last, because you're a chunk. A political chump. In Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives, there are 257 who are Democrats. Only 177 are Republicans. In the Senate, there are 67 uh, Democrats. Only 33 are Republicans. The party that you pass controls two-thirds of the House of Representatives and the Senate, and still they can't keep their promise to you because you're a chump. <laughs> Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government, and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time, and you're dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. <laughs> And what kind of alibi do they come up with? They try and pass the buck to the Dixiecrats. Now back during the days when you were blind, deaf, and dumb, ignorant, politically immature, naturally you went along with that. But today as your eyes come open and you develop political maturity, you're able to see and think for yourself, and you can see that a Dixiecrat is nothing but a Democrat in disguise. <laughs> you look at the structure of the uh, government that controls this country, it's controlled by 16 senatorial committees and 20 congressional committees. Of the 16 senatorial committees that run the government, 10 of them are in the hands of Southern segregationists. Of the 20 congressional committees that run the government, 12 of them are in the hands of Southern segregationists. And they're going to tell you and me that the South lost the wall. Are in the hands of a government of segregationists, racists, white supremacists, who belong to the Democratic Party but disguise themselves as Dixocrats. A Dixocrat is nothing but a Democrat. Whoever runs the Democrats is also the father of the Dixocrats, and the father of all of them is sitting in the White House. You got a president who's nothing but a southern segregationist. From the state of Texas. They'll lynch you in Texas as quick as they'll lynch you in Mississippi. Only in in Texas, they lynch you with a Texas accent. In Mississippi, they lynch you with a Mississippi accent. And the first thing the cracker does when he comes in power, he takes all the Negro leaders and invites them for a coffee (laughs) to show that he's all right. And those Uncle Tom's can't pass up the coffee. (laughs) The coffee table telling you and me that this man is all right.
3: Because <laughs> he's from the South.
4: And since he's from the South, you can deal with the South. And look at the logic that they're using. What about Eastland? He's from the South. Make him the president. He, if, if Johnson is a good man because he's from Texas, and, if, and being from Texas, well, if, if Johnson is a good man because he's from Texas, and being from Texas will enable him to deal with the South. Eastland can deal with the South better than Johnson. Oh, I say, you've been misled. You've been had. You've been took. than a couple of weeks ago while the senators were filibustering, and I noticed in the back of the Senate a huge map, and on this map it showed the distribution of Negroes in America. And surprisingly, the same senators that were involved in the filibuster were from the states where there were the most Negroes. Why were they filibustering the civil rights legislation? Because the civil rights legislation is supposed to guarantee voting rights to Negroes in those states. And those senators from those states know that if the Negroes in those states can vote, those senators are down the drain. <laughs> the representatives of those states go down the drain. And in the Constitution of this country, it has a stipulation wherein, whenever the ranks, the voting rights of people in a certain district are violated, then the representative who's from that particular district according to the Constitution is supposed to be expelled from the Congress. Now, if this particular aspect of the Constitution was enforced, why, you wouldn't have a cracker in Washington, D.C. But what would happen when you expel? expelled the Dixocrat, you're expelling the Democrat. Right. When you destroy the power of the Dixocrat, you're destroying the power power of the Democratic Party. So how in the world can the Democratic Party in the South actually side with you? In sincerity, when all of its power is based in the in the South. These northern Democrats are in cahoots with the Southern Democrats. They playing a giant Con game, a political con game. You know how it goes. One of, the, one of them comes to you and make believe he's for you. And he's in cahoots with the other one that's not for you. Why? Because neither one of them is for you. But they got to make you go with one of them or the other. So this is a con game. And this is what they've been doing with you and me all these years. First thing Johnson got off the plane when he became president, he asked, where's Dickie? You know who Dickie is? Dickie is old. Southern cracker Richard, Ru- Richard Russell. <laughs> Yes, yes! Lyndon B. Johnson's best friend is the one who is ahead, who's heading the forces that are filibustering civil rights legislation. You tell me how in the hell is he going to be Johnson's best friend? Johnson be his friend and your friend too. No, that man is too tricky. Especially if his friend is still old (laughs) Dicky. Whenever the Negroes keep the Democrats in power, they're keeping the Dixocrats in power. This is true. A vote for a Democrat is nothing but a vote for a Dixocrat. I know you don't like me saying that. But I the kind of person who come here to say what you like. I'm going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. <laughs> Up here in the North, you have the same thing. The Democratic Party don't, don't do it. They don't do it that way. They got a thing that they call gerrymandering. They, they maneuver you out of power. Even though you can vote, they fix it so you don't vote for nobody. <laughs> They got you going and coming. In the south, they're outright political wolves. In the north, they're political
3: foxes.
4: (laughs) A fox and a wolf are both canine. Both belong to the dog family. Now, you take your choice. You're going to choose a northern dog or a southern dog. Because he's a dog, you choose, I guarantee you, you'll still be in the doghouse. This is why I say it's the ballot or the bullet. It's liberty or death. It's freedom for everybody or freedom for nobody. America today finds herself in a unique situation. Historically, revolutions are bloody. Oh, yes, they are. They have never had a bloodless revolution or a nonviolent revolution. That don't happen even in Hollywood. You don't have a revolution in which you love your enemy. And you don't have a revolution in which you are begging the system of exploitation to integrate you into it. Revolutions overturn systems. Revolutions destroy systems. A revolution is bloody. But America is in a unique position. She's the only country in history in a position actually to become involved in a bloodless
5: revolution. The the
4: Russian Revolution was bloody. Chinese Revolution was bloody. French Revolution was bloody. The Cuban Revolution was bloody, and there was nothing more bloody than the American Revolution. But today, this country can become involved in a revolution that won't take bloodshed. All she's got to do is give the black man in this country everything he's doing. Everything. I hope that the white man can see this, because if you don't see it, you're finished. If you don't see it, you're going to become, in, you're going to become involved in some action in which you don't have a chance. And we don't care anything about your atomic bomb. It's it's useless because other countries have atomic bombs. When two or three different countries have atomic bombs, nobody can use it. So it means that the white man today is without a weapon. If you're gonna, if you want some action, you got to come on down to earth. And there's more black people on earth than there uh, are white people. I only got a couple more minutes. The white man can never win another war on the ground. His days of war victory, his great, his days of background victory uh-oh. Can I prove it? Yes. Take all the action that's going on on this earth right now that he's involved in. Tell me where he's winning. Nowhere. Why? Some race farmers, some race farmers, some race eaters ran him out of Korea. Yes, they ran him out of Korea. with nothing but gym shoes and a rifle and a bowl of rice. Took him and his tanks and his napalm and all that other action he's supposed to have and ran him across the Yalu. Why? Because the thing that he can win on the ground is past. Up in uh, French, Indo, China, those little peasants, rice growers took on the might of the French army and ran all the Frenchmen, you remember, then then Phu? <laughs> no. The same thing happened in Algeria, in Africa. They didn't have anything but a rifle. The French had all these highly mechanized instruments of warfare. But they put some guerrilla action on and a, and, a, and a white man can't fight a guerrilla warfare. Gorilla guerrilla action takes heart, takes nerve, and he doesn't have that. He's brave when he's got tanks. He's brave when he's got planes. He's brave when he's got bombs. He's brave when he got a whole lot of company along with him. But you take that little man from Africa and Asia, turn him loose in the woods with a blade. That's all he needs. All he needs is a blade. And when the sun comes down, goes down, and it's dark, it's even Stephen. ballot or the bullet. Today our people can see that we're faced with a government conspiracy. This government has failed us. The senators who are filibustering concerning your and my rights, that's the government. Don't say it's cousin senators, this is the government. This is a government filibuster. It's not a segregationist filibuster. It's a government filibuster. Any kind of activity that takes place on the floor of the Congress or the Senate, that's the government. Any kind of dilly downing that's the government. Any kind of pussy-footing, that's the government. Any kind of act that's designed to delay or deprive you and me right now of getting full rights, that's the government that's responsible. And anytime you find the government involved in a conspiracy to violate the citizenship or the civil rights of a people then you are wasting your time going to that government expecting redress. Instead, you have to take that government to the world court and accuse it of genocide and all of the other crimes that it is guilty of today. For those of us whose political and economic and social philosophy is black nationalism have become involved in the civil rights struggle, we have injected ourselves into the civil rights struggle and we intend to expand it from the level of civil rights to the level of human rights. As long as you as long as you fight it on the level of civil rights, you're under Uncle Sam's jurisdiction. You're going to his court expecting him to correct the problem. He created the problem. He's the criminal. You don't take your case to the criminal, you take your criminal to court. When the government of South Africa began to trample upon the human rights of the people of South Africa, they were taken to the U.N. When the government of Portugal began to trample upon the the rights of our brothers and sisters in Angola, it was taken before the U.N. Why, even the white man took the Hungarian question to the U.N., and just this week, Chief Justice Goldberg was crying over uh, three million Jews in Russia about their human rights. Charging Russia with violating the UN Charter because of its uh, mistreatment of the human rights of Jews in Russia. Now you tell me how can the plight of everybody on this earth reach the halls of the United Nations and you have 22 million Afro-Americans whose churches are being bombed, whose little girls are being murdered, whose, whose leaders are being shot down in broad daylight? Now you tell me why the leadership have never taken it before the United Nations. So our next move is to take the entire civil rights struggle, problem, into the United Nations. that Uncle Sam is guilty of violating the human rights of 22 million and Bill has the audacity or the nerve to stand up and represent himself as the leader of the free world. Not only is he a crook, he's a hypocrite. Here he is standing up in front of other people. Uncle Sam with the blood of your and mine mothers and fathers on his hands, with the blood dipping down his jaws like a bloody-jawed wolf, <laughs> and still got the nerve to point his finger at other countries. You can't even get civil rights legislation. And this man has got the nerve to stand up and talk about South Africa, or talk about Nazi Germany, or talk about Portugal. No, no more days like those. <laughs> So I say in my conclusion, the only way we're going to solve it, we got to unite in unity and harmony. And black nationalism is the key. How are we going to uh, overcome the tendency to be at each other's throats that always exists in our neighborhood? And the reason this tendency exists, the uh, a strategy of the white man has always been divide and conquer. He keeps us divided in order to conquer us. He tells you I'm for separation and you for integration and keep us fighting with each other. No, I'm not for separation and you're not for integration. What you and I are for is freedom. Right. Only you think that integration will get your freedom. I think separation will get me freedom. Right. We both got the same objective. We just got different ways of getting at it. Right. So uh, I, I, I studied this man, Billy Graham who preaches white nationalism. That's what he preaches. I say that's what he preaches. The whole church structure in this country is white nationalism. You go inside a white church, that's what they're preaching, white nationalism. they got Jesus white, Mary white, God white, everybody white, that's white nationalism. The way, he, the way he circumvents the, the uh, jealousy and envy that he ordinarily would incur among the heads of the church. Whenever you go into an area where the church already is, you're going to run into trouble because they got that thing, what you call it, uh, syndicated. So they got a syndicate just like the is have. I'm going to say what's on my mind because the, the preachers already proved to you that they got a syndicate. <laughs> And when you're out in the rackets, whenever you're getting in another man's territory, you know, they gang up on you. And that's the same way with you. You run into the same thing. So how Billy Graham gets around that, instead of going into somebody else's territory, like he's going to start a new, new church, he, don't try, he doesn't try and start a church. He just goes in preaching Christ. And he says, everybody who believe in him, you go wherever you, go wherever you find him. So this helps all the churches. And so since it helps all the churches, they don't find him. Well, uh, we're going to do the same thing, only our gospel is black nationalism. His gospel is white nationalism, our gospel is black nationalism. And the gospel of black nationalism, as I told you, means you should control your own, the politics of your community, the economy of your community, and all of the society in which you live should be under your control. And, when, and, and once you uh, the, the, uh, feel that this philosophy will solve your problem, go join any church. Where that's preached. Don't join a church where white nationalism is preached. Now you can go to a Negro church and dispose of white nationalism. So when you are, when you walk in a Negro church and a white Mary and some white angels, that Negro church is preaching white nationalism. (laughs) church and you see the pastor of that church with a philosophy and a program that's designed to bring black people together and elevate black people, join that church. Join that church. If you see where the NAACP is preaching and practicing that which is designed to uh, make black nationalism materialize, join NAACP. Join any kind of organization, civic, religious, fraternal, political, or otherwise. thats based on lifting the black man up and making him master of his own community. It'll be the the ballot, or it'll be the vote. It'll be liberty, or it'll be death. And if you're not ready to pay that price, don't use the word freedom in your vocabulary. Uh, One more thing, I was on a program in uh, Illinois recently with Senator Paul Douglas, the so-called liberal, so-called Democrat, so-called white man, Uh, at, at, at which time he told me that our African brothers were not interested in us in Africa. He says the Africans aren't interested in the American Negro. I knew he was lying.
3: <laughs>
4: but during the next uh, two or three weeks, it's my intention and plan to make a tour of our African homeland. And I hope that when I come back, I'll be able to come back and let you know how our African brothers and sisters feel toward us. <laughs> And I know before I go there that they love us. We're one, we're the same. The same man who has colonized them all these years, colonized you and me too, all these years. And all we have to do now is wake up and work in unity and harmony, and the battle will be over. I want to thank the Freedom Now Party and the GOAL. I want to thank uh, Milton and Richard Henry for inviting me here this afternoon, and also Reverend Clegg, And I want them to know that anything that I can ever do at any time to work with anybody uh, in any kind of program that is sincerely designed to eliminate the political, the the economic, and the social evils that confront all of our people in Detroit and elsewhere, all they got to do is give me a telephone call and I'll be on the next jet right on into the city.
2: He has not blinked, he
4: has not wavered, he has not taken one single step in a backwards direction. You all know who I'm talking about. You've come out here tonight to greet him, to show support for him, to demonstrate your love for Dr. Khalid
0: Abdul Mohammed, Dr. Khalid.
4: All right.
5: In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, turn it up. All praise is due to Allah, the Lord of all the worlds. We forever give thanks and praise to Almighty God for coming as it was written in the sacred scriptures that He would come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we can find no other people fitting the description of the lost brother, the lost sister, or the lost sheep except we the 50 million or more mentally and spiritually dead black men and black women here in the hells of North America. And so we thank him for coming in the person of Master Farad Mohammed, And for raising up his messenger and his Messiah to the black man and black woman here in the hells of North America and throughout the world, I speak of none other than the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. And in the name of the man who is my spiritual father, who is my teacher, and who has been my mentor, and who is responsible largely for my spiritual rites of passage, I speak of none other than the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan in their name. In their names, I greet you with the greeting words of peace, assalamu alaykum. hotep, shalom, shaylafiani, and black laws for all black people, free to land, and for others, what's up? It is indeed my honor to be. Black Again, at this great forum of the United African Movement, spearheaded by the dynamic and divine leadership of one who is tireless and relentless in our midst, and one who is well acquainted with controversy, well acquainted with adversity well acquainted with injustice, well acquainted with the oppression and the attempted repression of the enemy, but one who will not bow down and will not be bought, Attorney Alton Maddox. My subject this evening, I will cover... Many topics under this subject, but with us standing on the threshold of the national election. It was 30 years ago that Minister Malcolm X, the great and dynamic national spokesman for the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad, in his message to the grassroots, he spoke to the grassroots of our people. And tonight I want to speak to the grassroots, to those who are in the dirt, those who are in the muck and the mire and the mud of the white man's world. 30 years ago, Malcolm said it was a case of the chickens coming home to roots. And tonight I want to tell you that 30 years later, It's a case of the chickens coming home to roast. Malcolm's subject 30 years ago on the threshold of a national election was the ballot or the bullet. And my subject 30 years later on the threshold of a national election is the bullet or the bullet. That's my subject here tonight. The bullet or the bullet. You don't have no other choice. Some of you are waiting around. You were glued to the television screen watching these two no-good crackers debate just a few nights ago. And you are trying to make up your mind which peck of wood you're going to vote for. This is the year of the bullet or the bullet. You don't have no choice. One cracker named Bill Clinton Nicknamed Slick Willie. Would you buy a used car from a cracker named Slick Willie? An adulterer. Huh? Doesn't even live up to the standards of his own nation. A draft dodger. A dope head. A cracker who gets high and then wants to fool you and hoodwink you and tell you I didn't inhale. A dope head. An adulterer. And one who doesn't even follow the standards of his own people. A draft dodger. Slick Willie. Lied to you four years ago. Still lying to you four years later. And another cracker, an old wrinkled, crippled, crazy cracker. Cracker with a funny hand, shaking people's hand with his left hand. And you talking about voting for this cracker, some of you for president. And the damn pecker would cave and stay on the stage. The cracker fell off the goddamn stage. Fell out in in the audience. Can you imagine you're supposed to get off of Air Force One and salute the Marine Corps and salute the honor guard when you step off the plane? Now, what will this cracker do with this funny hand? What is he going to do? Get off the plane and (laughs) try to throw up a salute with that funny hand? Some of you say, why be so personal? Why not attack the man's policy? Why not attack the platform that the man stands on? Don't deal with the man's personal life. Don't deal with him. Deal with his policy. Well, I'm a military scientist. And in military science and military strategy, you don't just attack the tank. You attack the fueling depot that the tank depends on. You don't just attack the train. You attack the track that the train runs on. You don't just try to deal with the cracker once the plane, the bomber plane is in the air. You attack that which is responsible for giving the plane what is necessary in its power and energy to lift up off the ground. And so I attacked the cracker too. And his policy. You're talking about civil rights. Ain't no damn civil rights. The cracker ain't never been civil and he ain't never been right. You're talking about, well, what about human rights? The cracker ain't human and he ain't never been right. It's the year of the bullet. Or the bullet. You either deal or die. You either fight back or get destroyed. You either get on the right side or it's genocide. It's the year of the bullet or the bullet. You've been voting for crackers ever since they allowed you to vote. And tonight we want to cover some of the history here. The history teaches us that from 1870 to 1901, blacks served in the various states as congressmen and sat in every congress from the 41st to the 56th, with one exception. Says they were brilliant men. They were great orators. In fact, during the period of Reconstruction, we were mayors, we were sheriffs, we were senators, we were congressmen, and even B.K. Bruce was in the Treasury Department and his signature was on all paper money in America. No matter how racist a cracker was, a big pot-bellied beer billy, snuff dipping, back of backer-chewing, straw-chewing, overall wearing peck of wood. No matter how much he hated niggers, he had to handle currency and money that had the signature of a black man in the treasury department on it. What is my point? During Reconstruction, it looked like a period of political prosperity. It looked like we were going to make it. As the historians say, we had good jobs working for ourselves. Many of us had good farmland. We were making what was called good money. And we were in high positions. But when the white man decided that he was through with niggas being in political office, then no matter how many elected positions we had, no matter how much money we had, no matter how much land we had, no matter what we had. The white man stood in the door of Congress and they were armed in the door of Congress and they said, no more nigger senators coming through these doors. They went to the floor of the Senate and the Congress and stood in the door armed to make sure that we didn't enter those what they call portals of the government of the United States of America. They went to the sheriff's office. Crackers stood armed, shotguns, pistols, big beer belly, Pecker woods, standing outside. And the black sheriff showed up at the sheriff's office. He was elected by the people when the black sheriff showed up at the sheriff's office, crackers armed and cocked their guns on him, and all you could hear was the staccato of the cocking of their weapons on him, saying, "Nigger, you're not the sheriff no more. We got a new sheriff in town. Big Bubba here. Big Bubba's the sheriff now, nigga. He said, but I was duly elected by the people. They said, nigga, you better get on with nigga, or Big Bubba here going to rescue you, nigga. You ain't the sheriff here no more, nigga. We've taken the law back into our own hands, nigga. It looked like a period of political prosperity. Civil Rights Act. Voter Rights Act. Johnson sitting down pinning the Civil Rights Act of nineteen sixty four. If the Civil Rights Act was worth what was written on the paper, then Martin Luther King and those who would come after him would not have to fight so hard if it had meant anything. If the Voting Rights Bill had meant anything during Reconstruction, then Fannie Lou Hamer and others wouldn't have had to fight so hard coming behind the Voting Rights Bill. What am I saying here tonight? I'm taking an unpopular position, which is not new for me. I'm saying that separation is the best and only solution. I'm saying as a reminder to you that we must have a nation of our own because every time we vote together in a solid block, I know what Malcolm said to you 30 years ago. And all the great that Malcolm did, Malcolm was feeling. Malcolm was studying and searching and digging and researching and finding himself. And so Malcolm said, in such matters, vote in a solid block. He talked about the Democrat and the Dixiecrat. He talked about, stop talking about the South, he said. Anytime you're south of the Canadian border, Malcolm said, you're in the south. Malcolm said, it's no democracy, nothing but disguised hypocrisy. No American dream, nothing but an American nightmare. The Supreme Court has passed down new rulings now in various states across the country. Striking down what is called majority-minority voting districts. Striking down majority-minority voting districts. What does that mean? It means a district that has a great population of black people who have gone out and registered to vote and who believe that they have real power Because they've registered to vote. Let me stop for a minute. I am proud to say... I am proud to say... That I am not registered to vote. I have never voted. And when a strong black candidate comes along... And I'm going to talk about that a little bit tonight. A black candidate who is not afraid of the white man. A black candidate who comes in the mold of Adam Clayton Powell Jr., a black candidate who has sat at the feet of Adam Clayton Powell Jr., if a bold black candidate comes along, then the most honorable Elijah Muhammad says such candidate should have the total backing of the black nation, that all of us should get behind such a candidate as that. But to get behind some glorified shower curtains and pull a lever for one cracker over another cracker. Another Pinocchio-eared cracker named Perot. Here's a cracker that has lied so much, his nose won't grow, his damn ears grow. Who are the candidates? Satan, the devil... Lucifer, and with Buchanan running, Buchanan, that's who he is, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, and Beelzebub. And either one you vote for, you're going to still end up catching hell. The most honorable Elijah Muhammad never told us to vote for a white man. He said we should find the right qualifications in a black candidate. One again who is not afraid of the white man and who will stand up for reparations and who will stand up for the freedom and independence of our people and will not back down from the white man. Got Negroes in this town talking about backing the white man over a black man. A black man who anytime you're in trouble, sometimes he's there before the police get there. Sometimes they before the ambulance gets there. But you got a Negro in this town named Butts. You should know you can't trust a nigga named Butts. How you gonna trust a nigga named Butts? That's our problem now. We've been sitting on our butts too long. If my name was Butts, I would go out tonight and change my name overnight. <laughs> How are you going to get respect telling people that you, your name is Butts? And then you take a behind position every time an issue comes up. Negro ran out and attacked the rappers. Let me put the political, the bullet, or the bullet on hold for a moment. Went out and attacked the rappers. He didn't know Tupac Shakur. You don't know Snoop Doggy Dog. You don't know Biggie Smalls. You don't know Sean Puffy Coates. You don't know them butts. While you sitting on your butt, Afraid to come into the community and deal with the grassroots of your people. A whole generation has come up around you. Let's talk about the rappers for a minute. Can we talk about the rappers for a moment? Let's talk about Tupac Shakur for a moment. Tupac Shakur is a child of the 60s. Tupac Shakur Born out of the spirit of the revolution of the 60s. Tupac Shakur. Fire in his bones. Huh? Boldness and rebellion in his blood. Born from his beautiful, bold Black Panther mama, Afane. Sitting in the jail cell, a revolutionary woman carrying the fruit of life. Marking the child in her womb. Marking the child with rebellion. Marking the child with insurrection. Marking the child with a spirit to not go along with what's been going on. When you've got a generation like that, you've got to work with them. You've got to mold them and shape them and fashion them. They represent the best generation we've ever produced. They're mad. They're angry. White man say, wear your cap. Turn this way. They turn theirs around. He say he's wearing his pants up. They wear theirs down. Whatever he says do, they do the opposite. Rebellious sick and tired of what's been going on in the hells of North America. And so they rap lyrics that speak to the pain and the suffering and the low-down life of the black man and woman. They speak to our condition at the grassroots level, in the muck, in the mire, and in the mud. Not to just be attacked, if you sit and if you stand in the pulpit that Adam Clayton Powell Jr. stood in, Adam Clayton Powell characterized himself, in his words, as the baddest nigger in Congress, the baddest nigger in Congress. That's what he said. He said, "Keep the faith, baby." Don't panic. Tupac said the same thing. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. But for butts and a few other butt-licking, boot-licking, butt-dancing niggas. Somebody has to call these niggas out. But some of you are so connected to them or you want something from them or you want favor from them or you want to be recognized by them, if you don't stand up for the liberation of our people, then to hell with any nigga, I don't care who he is or where he is, to hell with him, if he won't stand up for the liberation of our people. If we touch the hearts and minds of the rappers, they could create a revolution overnight. Overnight. Literally. Overnight. But to attack them and put them down. Talking about the language that they use. When you are acting like what they are talking about. But to the youth who are under the sound of my voice. You too have a responsibility. You do have a responsibility. To wake up clean up, and stand up. Give liberation lyrics to our people that will uplift them and not degrade them and put them down. Because if we follow the same filth of the white man's world, then our world will go down under the weight of filth and corruption, the same way the white man's world is going down. And so to our young brothers and sisters, don't try to pattern your life, you're criticizing the Butts and the other Toms. But at the same time, you're trying to be like the Italian gangsters. You gangster rat. You dress like Al Capone. You dress like some other cracker, some Jew gangster, some Italian gangster. You're not a gangster. You are the very people of God trying to look like some damn criminal from Italy, some mafioso, some Italiano boy. Look like fools on TV dressed up in all of this mess. You dis black designers. You don't want to wear the clothes from your black designers. You're wearing Tommy Hill niggas you win polo, polo because you've been so damn poor and you've been living so damn low until you don't want to do nothing to pick yourself up and do something for yourself and give proper direction and guidance to the masses of your people who yearn to breathe free. This is the year of the bullet or the bullet. You ain't got a whole lot of more years to keep going over and over, round and round with this same thing, trying to decide on which peck of wood is going to be the lesser of two evils. I talked to a Muslim brother today from the Nation of Islam who was telling me that he was going to vote for Clinton. He said Clinton was the lesser of the two evils said he voted for Cuomo because he was the lesser of two evils of Pataki. I said, brother, we ain't got to vote for either one of them. What happened to the days of freedom and independence? What about a nation of our own? What about the call of black nationalism? What about the spirit when we were pushing to build for ourselves? You don't even dream like that anymore. Muslim talking about voting for some cracker. You going to put some agenda before some cracker and decide which one is going to do the most for black people. Come on. The most honorable Elijah Muhammad said on this subject, and it should be guidance for us, He said, put the Muslim program before Congress. It is difficult for me, it is what? It's what? It is difficult for me to advise my followers on taking part in the corrupt politics of our enemies who are in complete control of the political affairs who are in complete control of the political affairs. Did he say they were partially in control? He said they were com- in complete control. That's why when you say we're going to vote in a solid block, and they see you have some black voting power, then from the highest court in the white land, the Supreme Court, as I mentioned earlier, they send down a law or a decree that says we've got to bust up this solid block Voting can't send your own candidate who will represent your own interests and who will speak to your own needs and work for you. They bust up those districts. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad said the white man is in complete control of the political affairs. There are 100 senators in America. Is that right? How many of them do we have? One, and she's questionable. Carol Mosley Braun. She's one of the Negroes that voted against me in the Senate. And a whole bunch of Negroes in the Congress. That Maxine Waters stood up tall and strong. I saw I saw at a black festival in California and she ran to me and hugged me. She said, you're getting on up there now when you got them talking about you all up in Congress and everywhere. She said, you didn't think I was going to vote against you, did you? She didn't vote against me. I listened to that black woman dealing with them crackers on television last night about the CIA dumping this dope in the black community. Maxine Waters stood up toe-to-toe with them crackers. In fact, after a moment, she put the House of Representatives stuff to the side. She said, you lying. Just told the cracker straight up. She didn't say, I want to tell the gentleman from Illinois, uh, the gentleman from Maryland, that he's prevaricating. She said, you lying. Straight up said it more than once. I said, that this sister's all right. She represents South central You need a representative like Maxine Waters who will go and face these crackers and deal with these crackers. I heard Reverend Sharpton is running for mayor. How in the hell could you vote for a cracker if Reverend Sharpton is running for mayor? You're out of your goddamn mind. You had another Negro right here in Brooklyn, supposed to be a black nationalist, Sonny Carson. Oh, uh, see, you Negroes scared, the ones who said that. Got out on the radio, said he's going to Reverend Sharpton's house if he runs. Like he's going to protest in the man's yard. that he didn't want Reverend Sharpton to run for mayor. What kind of Negro is that? He said, well, we got some problems with Reverend Sharpton. Nigga, you ain't got no problems with Giuliani? You see, I ain't connected to none of you. I want to be connected to all of you. But my stand is a principal stand. If you stand firm and right, I'm with you. If you were against Sharpton running for mayor, if you have something against Sharpton running for mayor, then you should have just kept your damn mouth shut and stayed on the sidelines some damn way. Now, if he was running against some black candidates and you felt that the black candidates were better candidates, one of them was better than Sharpton, Reverend Sharpton, I can understand that. But as far as I know, the field is full of crackers. And public enemy number one is Giuliani. A put niggas behind bars in the electric chair in the gas chamber lethal injection state prosecutor Peckerwood. Giuliani. You're not for Sharpton, keep your damn mouth shut. White folks look at you like a damn fool. They laugh at you. They think that something is wrong with you. If you're not for the only black candidate that's running, just be quiet. See Van Glorious. Put the Muslim program of reparations and separation before Congress. He says there are many black men and women who make splendid politicians. They could accomplish considerable good if they, like the white politician and his people, were given proper and equal recognition and justice for themselves and their people. If our politicians are to serve us they must have no fear of the white man when they plead our case in the white courts before white judges. The strongest politician of our kind at that time or the person who comes nearest as far as I know to giving us political justice. In the white courts, if he had our complete backing, is Congressman Adam Clayton Powell, Jr. This is a message to the black man by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Though he is not a Muslim, a Muslim politician is what you need. Let's stop for a moment. It's got to be the right Muslim politician. You don't want no Muslim politician is going to get in there buck dancing, shuffling and scratching. They got Muslim politicians all over America today. Shuffling and scratching and boot licking and buck dancing. Thank you, baby. With the white man. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad meant a real Muslim. He meant a righteous Muslim. It's a shame we have to qualify Muslim. Muslim is supposed to mean all of that anyway. But this devil got a lot of power. but congressman powell is not afraid and would not be easily bribed for he is not hungry there are two other good politicians but i will not mention them by name at this time if they could share their fear al-biliyah mohammed said they were scared whoever they were they would make excellent political leaders to guard our interests we must give Good black politicians, the total backing of our population. Did he say good white politicians? Why can't you trust a so-called good white politician? You see, there are no good white folks and bad white folks. It's just two kinds of white folks. Bad white folks and worse white folks. That's the only two kinds of white folks you can find anywhere. He said, we must give good black politicians the total backing of our population. Your program, the one I've given you, which is carried in the first part of this chapter, should be put before Congress. The Civil Rights Bill and integration will not stand and can never bring independence to you and your people, no matter who is president, black or white, the civil rights bill and integration, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad said, could never bring us freedom and independence. Don't make no difference who the candidate is, again, black nor white. It could never bring us freedom and independence. So today we have to look for good black candidates. I've never voted. But if the right candidate comes along, I'll swing my support behind that candidate. Even though I don't believe in the political process of the white man at all. I don't care whether you like me for that or not. The politics of the white man is insipid. The politics of the white man is rotten to the core. The politics of the white man could never solve our problem. It's like a poison white cake. You can put black chocolate icing on top of the poison white cake, but it's still poisoned down to the smallest morsel, and it was baked in the oven of the White House for white folks in a government of white people, by white people, and for white people. White man never intended for his nigger to be no political power over him. And every time you position yourself, he will change the rules on you. Every time you look like you're maneuvering in place. We got affirmative action, you say. We got food stamps, you say. We got entitlements, you say. Some of you turned into big niggas smoking big cigars because your big nigger company made you walk around over the rest of your people looking down at them, condescending because you had Section 8 set aside. Then they put a nigger up on the Supreme Court to vote with the white folks. Nigger named Clarence Thomas, uh, you know that negro, married to that big old dinosaur looking white woman.
3: <laughs>
5: Go home to that white woman and look like Jurassic Park.
3: <laughs>
5: Nigga got to get up in a stepladder just to get some sugar from that big pack of wood. <laughs> Why do you do that? Marry the biggest peck of wood you can find. That's a big old white woman. Clarence Thomas have to hug that white woman on one side and then run around and hug on the other side. She probably whips Clarence at home. Clarence, you come in here, Clarence. Put him on the Supreme Court. Made him a Supreme Court nigger. Look at it. Now whites are blaming us for the condition of America. All of this happened in Reconstruction. Mel Reynolds is gone. They moved on Arrington down in Alabama. Judge Hastings. Perrin Mitchell. Huh? Marion Barry. He said, they set me up. (laughs) He said, the beast set me up. (laughs) They say, Mr. Mayor, would you place both hands on the wall, Mr. Mayor? You're under arrest, Mr. Mayor. You have a right to remain silent. And anything that you say, Mr. Mayor, can be held against you. She set me up! They accuse Mel Reynolds in District 2 in Illinois of having sex, a form of statutory rape. Is that right, counsel? With a young girl who says that they really only had phone sex. Hey, I don't know what the age is on phone sex now. (laughs) I mean, that's out of the statutory rape category. That's out of the condom category. That's out of AIDS category. That's out of HIV category phone sex I mean that's some serious stuff (laughs) but in order to get Mel Riddles they arrested the young girl to force her to testify against him they entrapped him put her on the telephone and made a sweet talk to him on the phone and talk about bringing somebody else for him to get with on the phone with the devil listening. Huh? The devil was listening. The white man is the devil. In case you forgot, you haven't heard anybody say it in a long time. You haven't heard nobody say it in a long time. The white man is the devil. I say it every day. I say it every day like a religious catechism so that I can remember to remember just so I won't forget. I say it like a mantra. I say it when I'm brushing my teeth and goggling my all the while as a devil. Early in the morning I say it as a part of my meditation. I open up my prayers, Al Udu Billahimini Rajim. I seek refuge in Allah. I seek refuge in Allah from the accursed devil, the white man. Damn it, it was a devil that killed Brother Anthony Bias. God damn it, it was a devil that shot our brother down on the streets of Brooklyn, shot him 24 times. It was devils who killed Brother Yusuf Hawkins. It was devils who were responsible for Eleanor Bumpers. It's devils who killed Jerry Lee, Amy, and Eula Mae Love. It was devils who brought you here on the slave ships to the hells of North America. You better remind yourself every day. They moved on Mel Reynolds. They moved on all of them. Look what they did in Clinton's Congress. They moved on all of Clinton's people. Did you know that? Clinton had five so-called minority appointees. We ain't no minority. We outnumbered this speck of wood 12 to 1 on the face of the planet Earth. But he had 12 so called minority appointments. The Clinton administration had these five Michael Epps, the black former Secretary of Agriculture, gone. Huh? Ron Brown. Secretary of Commerce, they killed him, but before they killed him, they charged him with misconduct from his office of the Department of Commerce. Huh? Energy Secretary. Huh? Hazel O'Leary. Huh? And a couple of others. What happened during Reconstruction? White folks became angry. The white male, they're talking about an angry white male today. And so the white man's ego got involved. He blocked the entrance. Bishop Henry McNeil Turner, down in Georgia. Bishop Henry McNeil Turner of the AME Church. Policemen lined up in front of the door of Congress. And would not let Bishop Henry McNeil Turner go in. And he had been duly elected by the people. We were even governor. Pinchback. Became governor of Louisiana. But every position we held, the cracker rolled back the hands of the clock. In the twinkling of an eye, when he got ready, he said, no more of this foolishness. A nigger ain't to rule over me. A nigger is not to be a sheriff over me. Nigger sheriffs arresting white folks? Hell no, he said. Give me that badge, nigger, and get back in a nigger's place. Some of you who are undercover agents sitting in the audience, your job is temporary. And if you continue this, your life is Temporary. Over a short period of time. Temporary over a short period of time. Temporary anyway, but we mean over a short period of time. You come in among black people and spy on black people. Negro judge on the slave theater. With no more better judgment than that. See his brother persecuted by the criminal, criminal justice system that he's been a judge of. He obviously didn't read Bruce Wright. He obviously didn't see what Halton Maddox was doing for black people. And so a Negro boot-licking judge who owned the slave theater, now it sits there with rats and roaches running all over the damn place. But because white folks put pressure on a nigger judge, the nigger judge padlocked the door. And told the white folks, I took care of it, boss. I took care of it for you, boss. Did I do a good job, boss? I put them out, boss. Is I a good nigga, boss? They say, well, nigga, we got something else for you to do. White man knows he can't trust you. If your own people can't trust you, the white man knows he can't trust you. So your job is a temporary job. You come and sit in this audience and go and report back to the white man. We see you, nigga. We see you. Your wig is crooked. Your jerry curl got too much juice in it. We see you. And as this nation gains freedom and independence... And as more and more of this revolutionary spirit rises up in the minds and hearts of the people, we will kill you for coming to betray the legitimate aspirations of our people. Oh, yes, we will. It's the year of the bullet or the bullet. But some of you are not willing to pay the price. You want to come here for years and just listen to great speakers. and Go home and listen to great tapes. But when it's time to move with the leadership to buy your own land, to buy your own building so that nobody can dictate whether a padlock is put on it ever again, then you don't step forward. But you cheer louder than anybody in the damn audience. You eat more bean pie on the outside. You buy more bean pie than anybody. You got all the tapes at home. You got a library of tapes. Dr. Ben said. Dr. Clark said. Dr. Akbar said. Just a constipated Negro. Your brain is constipated. Your heart is backed up. Afraid to stand up, there are enemies among us, and we must find them and get rid of them. It's a shame that Eugene Roberts still lives walking around New York after he's responsible for the murder and the assassination of Malcolm X. But Eugene Roberts is doing interviews on television. He's a goddamn celebrity. Dr. Feld on the front row with Gene Roberts' picture exposing him, he does interviews now, he's a celebrity, an undercover agent in the O.A.A.U. of Malcolm X, seen in in the Audubon Auditorium, pretending to give him artificial resuscitation. I'm just telling you what the people are telling me on the streets, the real radical ones. They're saying that he should be dead. That's what they're saying. I ain't got nothing to do with it. That's what they say. William O'Neill with the Panther Party. The agent responsible for the murder of Fred Hampton and Mark Clark. The agent that drew up the floor plans told them where Fred Hampton's bed was at what angle they had to shoot in order to kill him while he was asleep. Still walking the streets today because you just want to hear speakers You just want to wear your African tikis and sandals and dashikis and boobas and crowned and gowned to the ground and your red, your black, and your green. But when it comes time to stand up and strike a blow for freedom and independence, you ain't nowhere to be found. Uh, I got to say it. I got to say it. So during Reconstruction, White men got angry and they moved on every black elected public official and here we are starting all over again it says the 1965 Voting Rights Act which resulted in a dramatic increase in the number of black elected officials at the federal state and local levels that from 1965 to 1970 Their number increased from 280 to 1,629. But as of 1993, the last year such figures were compiled, there were more than 8,000 black elected public officials. More than 8,000, but the condition of our people is terrible. More than 8,000 black elected public officials and black people are still in the mud and the filth and the squalor of the white man's world. Poor, ragged, naked, hungry, and out of doors in the white man's world and over 8,000 black elected public officials. Jesse Jackson now. Old O.G. Tom. Old Tom. Raising up a new Tom. Got Jesse Jackson Jr. now, grooming him to be the new Tom. Put him in District 2 in Mel Reynolds' place. Instead of standing up for Mel Reynolds, fighting for Mel Reynolds, you say, well, he did wrong, so look what they did with white folks who did the same thing. Some white folks did worse. It's important to understand, brothers and sisters, what we're dealing with here. Donald uh, Donald Buzz Luckins, an Ohio Republican, served nine days of a 30-day jail term in 1991 for having sex with a 16-year-old black girl. He also (laughs) was ordered to participate <laughs> in a program for sex offenders but the cracker said he argued that he could not have contributed to the delinquency of this child because she already was she already was unruly he said when he had sex with her now this is a republican From Ohio, 30 days in jail, and put him in a program. Mel Reynolds, much more than that. Republican Daniel Crane admitted having a sexual affair with a congressional page. His punishment was censored by the House of Censure, by the House of Representatives. They just talk they just talk rough to him. (laughs) Would the gentleman from Illinois refrain from this kind of conduct? It is not becoming of the high office of the gentleman from Illinois. That's all he got. He had sex at least four times with the page, according to a report by the special counsel to the House Ethics Committee. It started after he, had, he um, met the 17-year-old and uh, gave her a six-pack of beer and betted her on a basketball game. After he met her, he made a bet on a basketball game. And they had a six-pack of beer. She lost. And he did what he wanted to do. Look at it now. The House Ethics Committee also voted to reprimand Representative Gary Studs for his sexual relationship with a male page. Boy, this boy was way out. Studs, a Massachusetts Democrat, remains in Congress today. The congressional report outlining charges against Studs Studs, said he took the page to his apartment in Washington's upper-class Georgetown neighborhood and plied the boy with vodka and cranberry juice until 4 a.m. I'm going to leave that alone. Later, the page went on a two week trip to Europe with studs who also made advances toward other male pages. Former senator Brock Adams, a democrat from Washington state, dropped his 1992 uh reelection bid after nine women said he sexually harassed them. Representative Barney Frank, a Massachusetts Democrat, remains a popular member of Congress despite his 1989 admission that he paid for homosexual sex earlier. He was officially reprimanded by Congress. Representative Ken Calvert, a California Republican, was easily re-elected two years ago even though a state policeman found him with a prostitute in a car after midnight and according to a police report apparently engaging in sexual activity. Police did not charge Calvert with a crime and, uh, and withheld information about the case until a newspaper sued them. Look at this. When the white folks do it, they let them go. Even the ones that do it with other boys, they let them go. So during Reconstruction, it was hype, exaggerated charges of corruption, that caused them to create the kind of climate for the Night Riders, the Ku Klux Klan, and other disgruntled, rabid, racist crackers. You know what's happening now? You know the reason Baez is gone? You know the reason we shot down 24 times and the reason the chokehold is applied all across the country and and, and, and what's the boy's name? Can't we all just get along? Rodney King. It's because in the police department, the FBI, the CIA, ATF, if that's what they are, DEA, all of them, they are now the racist Rabbit, racist, cold, white supremacist, the Ku Klux Klan of Reconstruction. All of them now hide behind the shield. As Mark Furman said, in words, you can execute a nigger because a policeman is God on the streets, he said. He said, when we just see a nigger doing this or that, he talked about how they move on what they call a nigger. Supreme Court Justice, as I near my conclusion Thurgood Marshall said that the Ku Klux Klan no longer wears white hoods and white robes. They now wear black robes as judges and blue uniforms as policemen. The mentality is pervasive. The mentality is everywhere. Bill Clinton wants this conservative cracker to know that he's going to put niggas in their place. He just does it with a smile. Welfare reform. Fastly in many states, welfare is becoming farewell. They're making sure to let us know you got to go for self. you got to do something for yourself. We can't carry you any longer, niggas. And so brothers and sisters as I near my conclusion I say to you that this is the year of the bullet or the bullet. No other people in history have gained their freedom and independence by marching to freedom. Having a sit-in to freedom. A boycott. A vote everybody had to do some fighting, killing, bleeding and dying in order to be free we're not going to vote our way to freedom remember again every time it looks like you're making momentum he'll change the rules again and you'll be like the carrot with the, 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 uh, with the carrot and the stick principle Every time you inch closer, he'll move it away. You inch closer, he'll move it away. We must stand up and pin our declaration of independence. It's the only thing left for us to do. We tried everything else. And nothing has worked for us. Everything has failed us. We've known that the CIA and the government planes were moving drugs for a long time. We talked about the problem not being with the crack, but the problem being with the cracker. And we reiterate, the problem is not with the crack. The problem is with the cracker. Ali North, Ronald Reagan... Bill Clinton. They move drugs on a daily and consistent basis, and the primary target is the black community. War is coming in this country on an escalated scale where the color of our skin will be our uniform. Nerve gas shipments are being made across this country. Concentration camps and interment camps are being reactivated all across this country. War is coming. If our community is not all that we want it to be and it is racked with drugs and police brutality and oppression that means we're at war and it won't stop black man until you stand up it won't stop because we come here and recite some statistics and cheer it'll stop when there are black men who are willing to go out and face the crackers on the streets and when you beat down a brother you gotta face other brothers who will deal with the cracker in the streets oh that's radical you saying But we got to fight this cracker. We got to be willing to face this cracker in the streets. I'm trying to look in as many of the faces of the men in this audience that I can. We've got to organize. We've got to unite. We've got to build a black liberation army. You talking about free Mumia? (laughs) Free Geronimo Pratt? Free Mumia, they'll never be free until Sekul Odinga, Matula Shakur, Rochelle McGee, and many others, the Africa family. They'll never be free until we form a black liberation army that will go and free them. No marching is going to cause the white man to open up the doors. But in the meantime... We fight in the courthouse, those who fight there. Those of you who believe in the vote, you cast your vote. And we get whatever we can get from that. And you give it all that you've got. Malcolm said, by any means necessary. And so every one of us that's fighting on a particular battlefield, fight with everything you've got on that battlefield. And those who are fighting in another way, who believe that it must ultimately come to direct confrontation with the enemy, we must fight also. That's what I mean to say to the young rappers, why just die over nothing? Die because, instead of dying for a cause, or the cause. You're getting shot up for nothing. Let's go up against this cracker. If you're that tough, if you're that bad, if you're that hard, how come you don't have no drive-by at the police station? I never heard of it. Why you don't pull up on the passenger side of the police car and bust on the police instead of your brother? I've never heard of it. You say you're a gangster. You say you got your gat. You say rat-a-tat-tat-tat. But you don't bust on no cracker. You just kill yourself. Cause you're really not a gangster. You're not a gangster, you're a punk. East coast, west coast. Cracker is our enemy on the east coast. The cracker's our enemy on the west coast. The cracker's our enemy in the south. The crackers are enemy everywhere. East coast, west coast. If you're bad, let's organize and fight this cracker. I'll be with you. God damn it, if you got the heart, I'll lead. But I can't join in a lot of this other stuff. I had a captain who once taught me, Captain Ali Rashid. His famous words were, Hold a line. He used to always say, Hold a line, man. He'd been or he'd talk to us. He'd say, Hold a line. You got to hold a line, man. That's what I intend to do. You can go buck wild with all this foolishness and all of this that we've tried over and over again and it has failed, but I'm going to hold a line. I'm going to hold a line. I'm going to maintain this course and maintain this position. I met with the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan three nights ago. Well, it was Wednesday night, last Wednesday night it was, it was a week ago. Last Wednesday night, in one case it was by divine design, in another case it was by accident. We both attended a funeral in Chicago. And I wasn't sure that he would be there, and he did not know that I would be there. And so we met over the body of our brother, Brother Amir Mohammed, One of the greats in the nation of Islam. And later we had dinner at the palace. And we talked briefly. And I was able to ask him many of the questions that I've wanted to ask him for a long, long time. He was on Fox a few days ago and he spoke of our meeting. And we are supposed to meet again on the day before the 16th. We're supposed to meet on the day of the 15th, sometimes during the day. He did not answer my questions last Wednesday night, but he said that he will answer them at our next meeting. I asked him every question I had on my heart. I questioned everything that was questionable to me in a manner that a son should question his father and I look forward to getting the answers. This weekend I will be in Oakland at the 30th anniversary celebration of the founding of the Black Panther Party. and. I was there this past weekend and met with uh, many members of the Black Panther Party and Brother Aaron Michaels from Dallas, Texas, the new Black Panther Party, and I will be going back in. I'm still a member of the Nation of Islam, and that is my foundation. But since I do not have a position or a post, nor anything of an, uh, by way of assignment to do in the nation of Islam, I must fight anyway. And so I've been working with the Black Panther Party. I've been working with the Crips and the Bloods and organizing them into revolutionaries. And I want to help with the rebuilding of the Black Panther Party but this time from a more black nationalist perspective and from the balance of the black Muslims and the Black Panther Party I believe that that's a good foundation to operate from still a member of the United African Movement and those young black men and other black men who are just coming through tonight to visit or just to hear me that you heard that I would be here tonight I really would like to get your numbers and give you mine it's time to organize. When you come through here you get such heavy knowledge, you get such the benefit in some cases of decades and years of research from some of the greatest minds among our people. And once you get that, it's time to do something. I want to organize a disciplined cadre and army of black men, yes, black women too, but primarily black men right now. How many of you are interested? Let me just see your hands. Let me just see your hands if you're interested. If you're interested. All right. Don't be scared. I don't think we'll have to go out and kill no white folks tonight. (laughs) But we might. I believe in self-defense. I believe in self-defense. And since we are dying at such an alarming rate, being killed at such an alarming rate, we have no other alternative except to unite and to defend ourselves. That is my position and that is my stand. And to whatever degree my spiritual father will allow me to work with the Nation of Islam, I will do that. And at the same time, work as co-chairman in helping to rebuild the new Black Panther Party. So I wanted to... make that announcement here tonight and I always want to take at least a minute before we close out to take any questions from the audience that you might have are there any questions brothers or sisters here's one question here two questions is that it we have two questions three four brothers question Uh, Well, Slav sir The brother says, my subject is the bullet or the bullet. And if it comes to that, it's already past that. But if it comes to that, he says, where are we going to get bullets? He said, we don't manufacture no bullets. Where are we going to get bullets? My brother, I respect your question. But I must say to you, when I hear a question like that, it is a question that is from a position of lack of confidence. It is almost from a position of weakness. It is true the white man makes the guns and he makes the bullets. And it is equally as true that by subject the bullet or the bullet didn't just deal with a physical bullet. But it dealt with standing up fighting on all fronts as I said. And... Not depending so much on the old things that have already failed us. So the bullet or the bullet in one sense was a metaphor. But in another sense, it was literal. We can always get bullets, brother. We can always get guns even if it's from the body of our enemy. There's so many guns, I don't have to go out and tell black people to arm themselves. Black people are already armed. I just get sick of these Negroes, Reverend James Bevel and some of these other Negroes running around the country talking about turning your gun for a Bible or a Holy Quran. Now, what young brothers are going to come in and give their gun up for a Holy Koran or give their gun up for a Bible? Some of these other sick Negroes telling black people to turn in their guns for some Power Ranger tickets. Turn in your guns so you can go see... The Knicks play. Are you serious? I don't have to tell black people to arm themselves. The black people's nature and the God of nature and the first law of nature dealing with self-defense and self-preservation under these conditions will dictate to you what is necessary. But let's go even further. It is not the gun in and of itself that wins the war. The French white man, the British white man, and the American white man fought the Viet Cong. Little people, some up not even five feet tall. Huh? They didn't have any great airplanes, great tanks. Great jets, great bullets, great guns and artillery. But they had the determination to be free. And so when the French white man went in with all of his armory and his guns and his manufacturing of all of that, they beat the hell out of the French white man and drove him out in shame and disgrace. When the English white man went in, they beat the hell out of him and drove him out in disgrace. And when the American white man went in, he tried to bomb them back into the Stone Age. And so they built underground cities, underground tunnels. He dropped tons and tons of napalm and bombs on them on a daily and a nightly and a consistent basis. And they built underground cities. They got off the top of the ground and went underground. They had a determination to be free. They cut crackers' throats with the metal from crashed airplanes. They took the crackers' own weapons and killed him with his own weapon the way David took Goliath's sword and cut Goliath's head off with his own sword. They terrorized crackers. They had crackers scared to death. They built and made all kinds of traps and contraptions that created psychological fear and terror in the mind of the cracker. This cracker is a punk. This cracker is a sissy. This cracker bombs black churches and kills black babies and attacks unarmed, handcuffed black men and women. What would this cracker do if you stood up and fucked this cracker? If you stood up and fucked this cracker? Yes, we'll lose some lives. Damn it! I might be the first to die, but so what? It's the price of freedom. You just want to quote freedom, you just want to talk revolution, but you don't want to walk the walk when it's time to walk the walk. Look at it, Amilcar Gabral in Guinea-Bissau. They didn't. He said, "While well, people don't have the weapons of the uh, uh, of the European oppressor." He said, but our will and our determination to be free will make us free. And so they fought the cracker, the European. And Amilcar Gabral was able to gain freedom and independence in Guinea-Bissau. Read Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth. Read of revolutionary struggle all over the earth. Read Osage Fokwami in Nkrumah's Revolutionary Warfare read, study other wars. I hate to hear a black man say, well, we outnumbered. He got more guns than we got. Oh, black woman, you in trouble when you got a black man talking like that. You mean to tell me that your woman is in a house being raped by 20 men? and they got 20 guns and you ain't got but one gun and you're going to just go and cry and leave her in there being abused and misused and say they got more guns than I got I can't go in there if you got a man like that god damn it you ain't got no man you might as well get rid of him you ain't got no man a real man has got a face a real man has got to determine the strategy for going in there and getting his woman out and taking some of the enemy out. That's a real man. And if it comes down to it, a real man is willing to give his life for his women and his children and his people and his nation. If necessary, a real man, if it comes down to it and he can't get her out, it's the nature of revolution a real man is willing to blow up the whole goddamn house and say, you got her, I love her, but all of you will die. You won't do another black woman like that. There's a price for revolution. What will you do to be free? That's the question. Malcolm used to say, you want to know when you'll get free? He said, you'll get free when you let your enemy know that you're willing to do anything to be free. You're willing to do anything to be free. If your enemy can judge how far you'll go. If your enemy can set up the terms of war. From The Hague, or from the, uh, uh, the United Nations. Or, uh, Malcolm said, take your case before a world court. That world court is controlled by the white man. One white woman, one white man, all bright, full, bright, whatever the cracker's name is can go and cast one veto vote and strike down everything that came up. One white woman. What's what's the the other terms of international war, this conference and that conference? You can't let your cracker determine for you war. So my brother, I know we're outnumbered, but I don't understand. Are we saying don't fight because he got more guns than us? Are we saying we can't fight because he'll kill us? He's killing us anyway. At least fight back. You can't just die. Yes, sir. So what brother Dr. Felder is saying, we can win. When the Mau mile Miles rose up under Jomo Kenyatta, they cut up glass and put it in the food. Poison in the food. They did everything that was necessary to gain freedom and independence. But as a man, as a woman, you can't just die. Well, we can't do nothing. Yes, ma'am. I'm coming to the back. Education would help a little bit, but he'll shoot a PhD the same as he would one that didn't graduate from school. He'll shoot a PhD, or a black man or a black one with two PhDs the same way he would one with a GED. He'll shoot me in my mouth. It, they tried to kill me before. I know I speak well, but that's by Allah's grace. But my point is, is that yes, education is key, it's important. We must be wise. Look, Dr. Felder stood up. He's talking about strategy. He's talking about military science, and he's talking about all of the, 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 the different facets of the art of war. That's, that's a form of education or knowledge or uh, I understand your point. but we don't want to believe that voting will get us out of this condition, and then all of us go on a big voting trip. Economics will get us out of this condition, and we all go and get a bunch of greenbacks. I went to Reverend Ike's church, and I I like a lot of what Reverend Ike teaches. And I went over there, and the people over there were saying they're not black. They say they're green because it's a money orientation. So they say they're green. So, green power won't get us out of this condition, voting power won't get us out of this condition. Education power won't get us out of this condition. He's not going to say, I'm just, killing, I'm, just killing, um, I'm just killing the school dropout niggas today. I'm not killing PhD niggas today. He's not going to even ask, do we have a PhD or MS degree or BS degree or whatever. But there is a place for what you are saying. Are there other hands? Yes, sir. Sister says she likes that. Let's give both a hand because they are key points. They are key points. The only difference in us, my brother, and the Japanese from a standpoint of war is that the Japanese knows that he's a Japanese. The Japanese speaks Japanese. The Japanese has Japanese heritage, Japanese legacy, Japanese culture. Japanese folkways, mores, and norms, Japanese holidays, and operating on Japanese land. We have been robbed of our names, our language, our religion, our culture, our God, our folkways, our mores, our norms, and we are 10,000 miles in some cases removed, 9,000 miles in other cases removed. So after having been robbed completely of a knowledge of self, it is difficult to move a people like that against an enemy when most of the time we are enemies to ourselves. The Japanese people never forgot Nagasaki and Hiroshima because it was just a few years ago. We are 100 years up from slavery and many of our people are so busy trying to be white and trying to be American until we don't want to have nothing to do with it. So that's the difference. So. Back to both of your points, it's going to take psychological warfare. It will take what sister called education, but, and what you're calling gaining skills and gaining knowledge. It's a psychological warfare. What I'm doing up here tonight for these next few minutes, what I'm doing, in some cases, is shock treatment for some of you. You're saying, what? Fight this white man? And others of you, I'm putting it in your mind. So that no matter what you do, you got to understand, you're at war. No matter what you do, you're going to have to end up fighting before it's over. He's not going to let you just take this. Because you got some technological skills. You know the banking system. You're trying to be a Japanese, black Japanese banker. He say, nigga, no, it's not going to happen.
3: The, the last day I see I known all.
0: all the struggles and trials that I have been through for years Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
0: To my prayer, give ears to my cry Cause too much you to suffer too much to die.
3: stand
0: too much of your people exposed to destruction. Raps do make them hank away We see wear them up to with the evil fallacy do make them hank away Pollution and them sin do make them give it to me Don't make them hank away We see wear them up to with the evil fallacy Don't make them hank away don't let them find away. way. Then in confusion in the community. community. Well, looking at get away, the getaway just in the field, baby, are the only good fitness. And when they use them, the most them give them and sweet, eh? good and sweetness. Eh? Good and sweetness. The economic... Don't make them conquer we. See where them up to with the evil policies. Yeah. Don't make them conquer we. Pollution and them sing Don't make them give it away. Don't make them conquer we. See where them up to with the evil policies. Yeah. Don't make them conquer we. Don't make them conquer way They forget the disease Disease. They'll kill mankind Psychological warfare All over the land Youth and youth They're And try to overstand Don't
3: make them conquer way
0: Don't make them conquer
2: away.
0: Don't make them conquer we. Don't make them conquer You don't make them conquer. do make them Don't make them conquer we. Don't make them conquer we. Don't make them we. them
3: I'm going to get